Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild, USSF. I also do powerlifting, Highland Games, and practicing boxing, among other things. So, all-around busy guy. Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist and instructor for Globe University. Run my own business and just got done spending two weeks kiteboarding in the Dominican Republic. So it's pretty cool. Exotic. Now you can go to Cuba. You can. I talked to some people who went there and they said it was very interesting to say the least. (laughs) Wow. They said it was beautiful though, but very, very, very controlled still. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'd like to go there, though. Okay. What do we got today, Lonnie? Yeah. Uh, I've got a follow-up piece of news. I've got a couple pieces of news. I've got some Iron Radio uh, news, if you will. And then uh, my wife, Kelly, is going to come on with a little brief report uh, on dietary supplements. There was a piece on NPR, uh, National Public Radio, uh, last week, I think. And uh, we'll get to that. So first up. I promised last week I would follow up on this this idea of soybean oil uh, being bad for obesity. Uh, a lot of people know that soy protein has been critiqued before. People are very polarized about it. You know, in fact, we had one person actually stop being a supporting member last week, and I couldn't help but think if maybe uh, she disagreed with what we said about the soy. It could be nothing to do with it. But here is the actual article. Um, As I mentioned last week, it's from PLOS One, Public Library of Science One. Um, Brand new stuff. This is literally just like 30 days old. Soybean oil is more obesogenic and diabetogenic than coconut oil and fructose in mouse. And then it says potential potential role for the liver. So the guy that was attributed uh, in the lay article was this this guy Sladek, but the first author on this is D-O-L, D-E-O-L. And again, I like to go get the horse's mouth, you know, actually look at the peer-reviewed abstract rather than listen to some science journalist. I don't have a high opinion on a lot of those guys. Um, they play an important role, but they make a lot of mistakes. Uh, anyway, it says the obesity epidemic in the U.S. has led to extensive research into you know, various contributing factors in the diet. Um, it says recently... Increased consumption of soybean oil, which is rich in a particular group of polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs, uh, has been proposed to play a role in this obesity epidemic. So they put mice on four isocaloric diets, right? So the diets have the same number of calories, so it's not about that. Uh, There was a high-fat diet, so we're talking about 40% of all their calories from fat. Uh, A soybean oil high-fat diet, a uh, fructose-included high-fat diet, and a diet with both fructose and soybean oil in this high-fat diet. And they were looking at, you know, they're trying to tease apart saturated versus unsaturated fat uh, and whatnot, Um, and then compare it to fructose, of course. It says male mice fed the moderately high 
fat diet from coconut oil and soybean oil. So combined, the soy soybeans slash coconut oil high fat diet showed statistically significant increases in weight gain, adiposity, diabetes, glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, uh, and fatty liver compared to those who had the coconut oil only diet. It says the high fructose diet did not cause as much obesity or diabetes as the soybean oil high fat diet. So here we're looking at sort of a pecking order, right? Where when you include soybean oil as part of a high fat diet, it's the worst of all of these four isocaloric conditions. Uh, it talks about how there are various genes associated with obesity and they were trying to tease this apart. Uh, and it says there were some of these genes were actually upregulated by the soybean oil diet. Taken together, our results indicate in mice, again, a lot of this stuff starts in mice, a high soybean oil diet is more detrimental to metabolic health than a diet high in fructose or coconut oil. So not only is soy protein sort of getting critiqued, but Phil and I were sort of snickering last week, you know, what are they, the soy growers actually make ink out of soy. And I'm like, is that going to yeah. be their last product? They're going to be selling ink because nobody wants the oil. And, you know, it's so ubiquitous. Eat it. <laughs> yeah, just don't eat it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, one thing I can say that that's tough with this kind of research, I've done dietary fat research myself, and your choice of the placebo is very important in this sort of thing. In other words, like if you want to compare soybean oil to something else, like I was trying to compare conjugated linoleic acid, uh, and then, but what do you compare it to? You could compare it to something that you think is more inert, like a monounsaturated fat, but those have health benefits. You could compare it to something like corn oil, which is a really high in omega-6 PUFA, uh, but you know what I mean? There's, there's no truly neutral fat. All fats, all fatty acids have different sort of nutraceutical effects so it's really hard to tease apart a lot of the stuff but like that's why i think they were trying to be careful with all with these four different groups and like i said they almost created this pecking order where clearly the one with the soybean oil was the worst you know for the carb handling metabolism for the obesity i don't know not indeed it doesn't sound too good for the soybean oil and like i said it's in so many foods yeah, and what's interesting too is you guys know that with the uh, fructose studies in mice is that the furry little buggers have a super high level of DNL, right? So their ability to convert those sugars into fats is higher than what humans have to. So there's obviously some caveats there too, but I agree that that's a good place to start, you know, with yeah. the research and it's easier to control and all those benefits too. Well, they made it sound in this particular one that the fructose was less offensive you know, yeah, which surprises soy. me yeah. that it was less offensive here than the other one. So Yeah. Um, okay, this next bit of news uh, is by Bethany Lindsay. Uh, UBC scientists find gene that could be a cause of obesity. So just like you were saying with the caveats, we have to be careful, of course, because I think there's like a 100 different genes associated with obesity, maybe more. But the sort of summary clip here is... Experiments with mice revealed a 50% reduction in unhealthy white fat when the gene that encodes for this particular protein, it's the 14.3.3 Zeta protein, is switched off. It says obesity, diabetes, and heart disease uh, happened even though the mice were eating the same amount of calories as before. 
So again, they turned off the gene that makes this particular 1433 uh, zeta protein, and the mice lost copious amounts of fat. And again, good point about mouse metabolism, right? You can't say it's one for one with people. Yeah. You know, a lot of these rodents, they'll grow almost continuously through their whole lifespan. And people don't do that. We grow to adulthood and then we sort of level off unless you're a weightlifter and you're trying to stay anabolic. Um, it says people gain fat in two ways, through multiplying fat cells or through expanding individual cells. Gareth Lim, a postdoctoral fellow in UBC's Life Science Institute, said in a press release, this protein affects both the number of cells and how big they are, uh, making it significant because it plays a role in, I guess, the growth of these cells. It says, when the mice were bred to have higher levels of 14.33 zeta protein in their cells and fed the high-calorie diet, they had an average of 22% more white fat and were visibly bigger and rounder. So this hmm. research was published in uh, the journal Nature Communication. It says, researchers suggest that a drug therapy based on their findings could prevent fat accumulation by suppressing this gene or by blocking that 14.33 zeta protein. Now, we've said this before, and the supplement companies have done it, so it's not unprecedented that what supplement companies try to come out with things that supposedly suppress this fat, fatty gene, you know, this fat-building <laughs> gene. They did that with myostatin. You know, there were supplement companies came out with myostatin blockers. and mm -hmm. yeah. need more seaweed derivative supplements. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that had mixed results, so, and that's being kind. Um, so it's been very kind. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's why you don't see them on the market anymore, though, you know, a lot of those things. Last up, I shout out to some of our supporting members. Just random thanks to uh, the following people who are supporting us. Uh, listeners may not know, but during the summer months, people tend to get away from uh, some of the fitness stuff, maybe they're vacationing, whatever. But we, we start to see numbers sort of ebb in the summertime. So these people... Uh, thank you so much, Stephen, Paul, uh, Jacob. You guys know who you are. Uh, Douglas, Christopher, Ruvim. Ruvim has a very cool full name. Sounds very Norse to me. And Joe. So thank you for your support. You guys help keep the lights on. I've said it before, but uh, I, I want to be better about thanking some of the Iron Brothers out there who keep the show going. So having said that, uh, let's uh, turn to uh, my wife, Kelly. She's got a little special report here again this is from an august npr report so it's spanking new stuff uh and as she was reading it to me um she started getting uh, um offended by it so that's what we're going to do right now is i'm just going to ask kelly uh, some of the main points in the article like who it was from and what this guy was saying and this is going to lead into our topic of the day which is supplement hysteria so having said that what were you reading there uh, the study has been done by Richard Acurio. He is a registered psychological assistant. The study was done on 195 men between the ages of 18 and 65 who go to the gym at least two times per week. And this is all to do with what they consider legal supplements, whether it be whey protein, L-carnitine, and creatine. So throughout the study, they said that 40% of the participants increased their supplement usage. 22% of the participants actually used the supplements as meal replacements. 
It does not tell you how often they used it. You know, like whether they replaced breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 8% were told by their primary care physician to back off on the supplements due to health side effects. Does it mention the side effects or did it? They were it not? did not mention the side effects. 3% were hospitalized related to kidney or liver problems. And this is a quote, which can be caused by excessive use of protein powder and other supplements. Oh, boy. Mm. <laughs> Groans. <laughs> <laughs> Another quote that was used, and, and I think this really ultimately is what this, this article at this time is boiling down to. This is preliminary research. It hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, and he is hoping to look further into it, so I want to give him that credit. But his quote is, the bulky Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone are not what most men are seeking to achieve now. They want to be both muscular and lean, and it makes sense that legal supplements are what they're using or abusing. And I want to clarify, too, the study focus is on legal supplements. Um, why are they using these supplements? Uh, they're looking at body dissatisfaction fostered by media and uh, they focus in on poor self-esteem or self-esteem issues also gender role conflict the actual insecurity of masculinity just interesting that kind of stuff is brought up in there is the is the main point then with this uh, this guy's a, a psych professional you said yes so it, it, it almost made me think when we were t first talking about it that he was, I don't know, maybe he was had sand kicked in his face or something. He seems very against, you know, he seems to be <laughs> trying to link this with negative psychological, like everybody who's on whey protein has gender issues or masculinity problems or body dysmorphia. I don't know. Well, it, it was discussed that uh, his interest was peaked when he was in college himself college and the graduate school experience he would go to uh, friends apartments and see these large tubs of protein powder etc etc so he he saw this use and he saw the growing industry it's stuff like this that leaks into the news and mike you and i both know and phil you've been to enough scientific meetings too to realize that I mean, sometimes people they sort of interject their personal opinions uh, into the media. Uh, a lot of this stuff sounds associative, you know, as opposed to cause and effect. I mean, I don't think anybody, and I don't think even this guy is willing to say, oh, you know, you've got a tub of whey protein, you've got issues, you know, because it's it's really gotten pretty ubiquitous. But that's what I want to talk about in, in the topic of the day after the break. Uh, we're going to talk about supplement hysteria. I got some questions for Mike and Phil. Thanks, hon, for doing that. I appreciate that. Now, like Thanks, I said, Billy. that... <laughs> that stemmed from a conversation that we had where, you know, as she's reading through this, at first she's interested, then she starts getting a little bit irritated, you know, and making some comments, and I don't know. So that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute.
Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we're back. It's Lonnie and uh, Mike and Phil, and we're going to talk about supplement hysteria. Uh, one of the foci of this podcast is sports nutrition and that sort of thing. And uh, Kelly's report there that she saw from uh, NPR, it just sort of sparked this, right? So I've got a couple of questions for you guys because recently I've been tweeting about I bought some Target whey protein. And it wasn't the highest quality stuff. It had some of those freaky, you know, emulsifiers and stuff in it. And um, but the the point is, sometimes I stand there in a Walmart or a Target, and I'm I'm looking down. I'm thinking, my God, there's whey protein in Walmart. You know, I mean, this is not something you saw 15 years ago. I think maybe a lot of the younger listeners, they never lived in a world where the the big chain stores didn't have this. But this is stuff you went to GNC for or you bought through maybe some obscure online source, but bodybuilding supplements were not this ubiquitous. So um, question number one, I'll ask you, Phil, since you're running a facility there and you have people that are interested in all this stuff, and I, I, Mike, I know you train people too. Uh, do you think bodybuilding supplements, that the whole bodybuilding supplement culture has invaded the gen pop? Because this NPR paper seems to suggest that there's tubs of whey protein in everybody's house. I think there is. I mean, I've seen it now more, and like I'll have new people come in that are obviously they 
they don't have a lot of training history, but yet they have supplements. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it has in that way. I mean, it's become a lot of the a lot of the low carb diets. I think brought it to light too, because people were looking for a a way to get their their protein up without a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, um, you know, I remember even reading the, the Atkins book way back, and they talked about protein powders and supplements. So. Um, yeah, I think a lot. And then you, you can't get on the radio without hearing some absurd commercial about, like, man core and crap like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see that stuff pushed all the time now. I mean, get your manhood back and blah, blah, right. blah. Right. It's easy to pop a pill or take some powder. Uh, yeah. You know, whereas in bodybuilding, it's always been coupled with busting your ass in the gym. Yes. And, yeah. you know, it's it's came from 15 years ago. It was, you know, they were seen almost like a an illegal drug right you know? performance you, enhancer you're on the creatine you know and now it's <laughs> right <laughs> he's doing a cycle of creatine it's like yeah um and now it's <laughs> not so much so right yeah i'd say it's, it's made its way into the mainstream how about you mike your clients are do they come to you already using supplements is this gen pop or yeah i would say that the the clients i have who are not as more advanced um Unfortunately, it definitely seems to be that they have they bought a gym membership, but they haven't gone there yet. Uh, they haven't really done too much training yet, but they're convinced, and unfortunately, it seems to be worse with guys that, oh, I have to use this whey protein or this creatine or this God knows whatever it was. And then you ask them, you know, well, what have you been doing for training? And if you're lucky, they'll say they've been doing, you know, bench press dude broad day on Monday, and that's been about it. Um, but it seems to be an over-reliance, especially when people are new, probably from media and exposure and everything else, that if you just take this whey protein or whatever super secret Russian squirrel, whatever deer van antler velvet right, thingy, right. that, you know, that'll help you. You know, like the, the deer antler velvet thing. I had, I don't know how many people when that was advertised came up to me and asked me about it, and a bunch of them had already started using it. I'm like, well... Do you even exercise? I don't need to exercise when I use this, right? Like, well, <laughs> right. Sometimes the claims so, actually suggest, yeah, you don't even need to eat right or exercise. Right, right. Know, just pop the pill. So, yeah. And I think that's where some of that goes wrong. I think the general population they they misunderstand uh, what weightlifters are sometimes doing. I mean, experienced ones. Now, this article, this Richard Akiro guy. It did say he's no stranger. Quote, Akira is no stranger to the culture of workout supplements. But, what, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean he has, I doubt he has competitive experience. Uh, you know what I mean? How many years has he been under a squat bar? You know, that kind of stuff. That that kind of vagary is what sometimes these, um, he gets lost with by the journalists maybe. But So uh, let's go back to Phil. Uh, why the negativity? I mean, whether it's, you know, we're all body dysmorphic or orthorexic or uh, aren't some of these things just food? I mean, you alluded to that earlier a little bit that, you know, sometimes there's just not other crap in the the fish oils or the protein powder. Then it's hard to find in a regular diet. But why the negativity? They're not marketed as such, I guess. I mean, you don't see like you don't see chicken advertised as packing on 30 pounds. <laughs> yeah, claims. Whereas, yeah, the market claims are just outrageous on a lot of these things. So I think that's the reason. And yeah. 
you know, we live in a society now where anything that gives you an edge in the United States is seen as cheating. So uh, I think it gives a, I don't know, they, they've fallen into this weird, uh, that stigma still sticks, I think, from 15 years ago, um, of them being tied together with, you know, illegal drugs. You know, I right. think it's a problem. Yeah, ergogenic aids, performance yeah. boosters, you know. Yeah. It's true. When you try to actually quantify and define these things, we've laughed about this before, but like the NCAA, uh, they don't allow universities to supply athletes with products that are more than 30% protein by calories. Um, but a chicken breast breaks that rule. So is a chicken breast an illegal supplement? You know, so they could eat a chicken breast and be in compliance, but if they drank it as a whey protein provided by their school, it, that would somehow be bad. Um, almost bizarre. What about you, Mike? What do you think, Dr. Nelson? Yeah, I agree with Phil. I think a lot of it, it just comes down to more of a, a cultural thing because even I think if you were to pull most people and say, well, here's this, you know, lifting technique, whatever it is. You know, will add you know five percent to your lift or something like that. Or here's a supplement that'll add five percent. People wouldn't really think of the lifting technique as oh wow that's kind of weird or bad. Oh, but that supplement ah I don't know that seems kind of shady. I don't know what you're doing with that now. You know, so it just it seems to be that they get sort of lumped in with I don't know like I think probably what Phil said too. Just it seems to be the illegal route that you're doing something you're not supposed to, which. As you guys have we've mentioned time and again, is kind of hilarious when a lot of them are are all real food derived, you know, from whey protein to fish oil to even creatine. So yeah, in fact, I think those are the best ones, right? I mean, a yeah. lot of the staple ones I think the three of us will use would be the ones that are essentially just uh, purified forms of food. You know, it's yeah. omega threes without all the then. heavy metals. You know, and yeah, yep. I think. Uh, to me, a lot of the marketing, I, one thing I agree with this paper and the Securo guy or, or the reporter who was doing it, they were saying how this has really grown and become ubiquitous and all that sort of stuff. But um, there is that bodybuilding culture in magazines where I think they purposely abuse the whole illegal stigma. You know, uh, sometimes I'll talk in sports nutrition class and we, we talk about red flags, you know, something that's not factual. It's not safety or efficacy, but it, it, it persuades people to buy stuff. And one of them is barely legal. And I yeah. think that gray market stuff, the general population is like, why would I want something that was barely legal or not legal? And I'm like, well, it suggests potency to an athlete. You know, that kind of goes back to what Phil was saying. You know, it's it's the claims that go with this. And they actually, they run with that barely legal thing. And frankly, some of them really are gray market. You know, they get pulled. So the pro-hormone stuff mm -hmm. and the stimulants, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think partly the, the muscle magazines are at fault uh, for some of the hysteria because when you walk around the Arnold Classic, you know, I remember years ago seeing T-shirts that said something like 5,300% better than creatine. You know, they're used to this hyperbole, this exaggeration and nonsense. And so they expect it. So you do see you have to almost have these claims but you're right. You can make some outrageous claims for chicken breast or even water. Water is thermogenic. You know, water hydrates muscle. You know what I mean? You could go on and on with some of this stuff, but it all depends on how it's spun. And just to say something's a food, that's why chicken breast is less sexy in some ways, you know, than a can of something that they, they charge specialty price for. 
And I think a lot of that's from the supplement industry also pushing the line as mm -hmm. far as possible, whether it's a, you know, a new type of, you know, stimulant, DMAA to, you know, whatever, because it's, it's the catch-22, right? So some of those may be a little bit more efficacious, which we can debate. They may, safety-wise, may not be as good. There's definitely not going to be as much data on it. But if it works, right, especially in the stimulant category, because people can feel it working, um, then that just promotes more and more sales. And, you know, some companies that are less reputable will do that as long as they possibly can, knowing that it's probably going to get banned at some point when, you know, the FDA or whatever regulatory agency asks them for, you know, where did they get it from and all that other kind of stuff. And you sure. get the debate about sources of geranium and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of them, I think, will do it as long as they can just to get as much as they can and then just, you know, get out at that point. Yeah. I think there's a another good point in here. I mean, I know he was doing it for a dramatic effect, this whole, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone stuff. But we've talked about it before. In a lot of ways, that's true, right? The action heroes of the 80s and even 90s, they were jacked. And now you've got guys, a lot of the male action hero guys. I mean, you, you guys have guys like Hugh Jackman, who actually has gotten in better and better shape. Pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. or obviously, the Rock mm -hmm. is an obvious ex, you know, exception to this. But there's a lot of them that they're not, they're not really physical specimens as far as size at all. Well, yeah. And, I mean, in that little thing that Kelly read, I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me was he's, he said something about, you know, guys don't want to be... Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone anymore. They also want to be lean. And it's like, what, you're saying they weren't lean? <laughs> no, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Stallone was ridiculously know. lean. Yeah. Well, that's why he looked good. He was honestly... He yeah. wasn't that big. No. No. The first time I met him, it was like, oh, you're you're a small guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's not very tall. And he, I yeah. mean, yeah, he had a lot of muscle mass on his frame, yeah. but... For sure. Yeah, it was the leanness. That's a good point, Phil. This guy's making it sound like those guys weren't lean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not good. Um, all right, uh, Dr. Nelson, I'm going to bounce this one off of you. Uh, yeah. Do you think personal opinion, again, based on this, the way this article is spun and some of the language used in it, right, whether it's, you know, um, gender conflict, you know, or body image distortion and all that kind of stuff, it seems like this guy's trying to make a point. Do you think personal opinion or bias find their way into actual peer-reviewed scientific literature? Unfortunately, they do. I mean, we both know that, and people are listeners too. That you know, we've both done peer reviews and that type of thing. And you know, you try as hard as you can to have it based on facts. Um, but I'm sure we can cite unnamed circumstances where it just seemed like the other person had a sort of idea that they were convinced of. And no matter how much data you put at them, they were not going to be convinced otherwise. Um, in theory, you know, that shouldn't happen, but, you know, the reality is the whole process is run by humans and they have egos and everything else too, as much as you try to keep them in check that, um, unfortunately it, it does happen. Um, to me, I think it's more of the peer review process and trying to make sure that that, um, stays out of there as much as possible. Um, and even in this one, like the words that kind of put up my radar, he's talking about like the abuse. And, you know, meal replacements may be, you know, pretty horrible and that type of thing. But you know, it depends on what you're using it for a meal replacement. You know, if you're 
idea of variety was multicolored Skittles and you're having a <laughs> right. protein meal replacement. Protein meal replacement is probably pretty damn good, you know? That's that's true. Um, what do you replace it? Is it as good as, you know, sitting down and having a, a whole food meal? Probably not as much. Um, but so I think there's a lot of times the bias, it's more injected into that, especially in, you know, this one sounds like it wasn't necessarily peer-reviewed. Um, but, you know, even different journals have their own different biases. And when you're sending studies around, you know, there are certain ones you'll avoid just because you know what they tend to publish and that type of thing, too. So, yeah, I've actually read before and I can't even offer reference for it, but something like 70 percent likelihood of rejecting a paper if you disagree with it. So it, it yeah. shouldn't be about your opinion. It should be about did the person, were they able to demonstrate facts, you know, demonstrate yep. that the hypothesis is, is likely and that's where it should stop. But like you said, scientists are people. You know, uh, let me read you a quote here. It says, 8% of participants were told by their physician to cut back on supplement use because of health side effects. And 3% were hospitalized for kidney or liver problems, which can be caused caused yeah. by excessive use of protein powders and other supplements. I think they're covering their ass, frankly, with that other supplements thing, because I do think there could be some liver or kidney issues with some of the really freaky um, esoteric pro-hormone products, which, you know, pro-steroid products. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that just serves to, I mean, there's been paper after paper. I don't think there's anybody who's well-read in the protein, dietary protein literature that's going to tell you that dietary protein causes liver and kidney failure. Uh, causes that's that's just miseducating the public that's where i started getting hot about some of this but i got an ethical oh. question oh go ahead mike we had a whole book on as i said you had a whole book that you edited on you know protein and resistance training that phil was on the cover of and i mean i know the one study you did actually looking at you know microalbumin right so markers of kidney damage and you know didn't see anything there either no, no so i just not hired. i just did this the other day with students i'm like if you can find a peer-reviewed, you know, study, not something printed from God knows where, that shows actual markers of kidney damage in healthy people from eating too much protein, let me know, because I haven't seen one yet. Doesn't mean it's not out there, but it's just not very prevalent at all. Especially, you know, with the the news that started, uh, the buzz, social media buzz at this point mostly, uh, and, of course, you were there at the ISSN meeting this summer yeah. where Wolf was saying maybe 70 grams of protein is better for building muscle, you know, or preserve, yeah. preserving muscle maybe in the long haul than the old, you know, 30 gram, 20 to 30 gram range. So that's even more. So yeah. the literature is just not – well, I mean, geez, there's whole cultures. I know, there, of course, there's genetic things come into play, but think about like uh, – uh, like the Inuit people of northern Canada, you know, they're huge protein, fish protein intake. You see some of the um, the native cultures in Australia. You know, these guys live on basically they hunt animals and they eat meat. And yeah. they're not all dying at age 40 from kidney failure. I don't know. Um, but my ethical question for Phil was this. So uh, this is a hypothetical situation, so just kind of fun. But so you get a scientist, and he's he's going to cherry pick stuff. You know, he's going to find specific examples that if you use supplements, you're more likely to be body dysmorphic or something like that. And he's reverse engineering to so his hypothesis is, you know, quote unquote proven. Is that any is that better or worse than a supplement company that's going to 
also cherry pick? Like the the academic is going to cherry pick negative papers. The supplement company guru is going to cherry pick positive papers. What are your thoughts on that? that, uh, You know, they're both wrong, in my opinion. And that's, I mean, a little off topic, but I mean, that's one of the things that we talked about before with like the documentary that uh, Chris Bell did. I think it was yeah. one of the best things out there because he mm-hmm. he did a good job of looking at both sides. Yeah, and nobody it's rare. does that. Yeah. You know? Sadly. Um Yeah, and it's you know, if you're gonna look at one side, you need to look at the other to get the whole picture. Because there's there's two sides to every coin. I mean I can I could literally go out today and pull up evidence and write a paper that broccoli is the worst thing in the world for you if I dug deep enough. You know, that it's gonna kill you and you know, you can find whatever the hell you want to look for if you cherry pick right and and skew the statistics in your direction. You know, so yeah, I mean neither's right, and you need to have a brain of your own. I mean, so yeah, yeah, like well, like we said, it, people are people, and sometimes yeah. they're trying to prove a point. Uh, they're trying to be dramatic to get a pub, so it's a contribution to the literature because there's there's not a real. Uh, discovery per se there and of course on the supplement side uh cherry picking is a way to mislead people without bold-faced lying mm-hmm. you know i i just uh was asked something from a very experienced lifter buddy of mine for back in grad school days about a supplement and i looked at it and it had all this stuff about cleansing fat cells and i'm like oh man <laughs> i mean there are certain things that just really you know set you off and i think that's frankly on both sides they try to pick words that do set people off in one way or the other. I mean, this article, just glancing at this thing Kelly printed off, bulky, hospitalized. You know, you can go down this list, abuse, disorder. You know, you could just, I don't know. I mean, clearly, this kind of language, I doubt there's anything in here mm-hmm. that makes a very strong counterpoint, like you're saying, Phil, that many mm-hmm. people uh, simply use these things for constructive reasons, you know, or like you said, Mike, maybe they're replacing a really shitty meal, you know, with yeah. something that, I mean, that just because it's whey protein, there's tons of functional food benefits to stuff like whey protein or, you know, and that sort of stuff. Or creatine. Can we can we leave creatine alone, please? It's the most studied <laughs> supplement. It's got like a mm-hmm. 75% positive consensus. It's got better data behind it than a lot of drugs um. Yeah, and yet it, it's almost this fuels those parents that unfortunately I think maybe mostly Phil has to encounter like creatine isn't that a steroid, you know? And mm-hmm. oh god, no, no, it's not. I don't yeah, know. I just typed in creatine monohydrate in quotes in the the old PubMed here. I get three hundred and eighty nine studies. Oh wow! And that's just on creatine monohydrate, not just mm. creatine. So it's. Yeah, I I agree with that. And you still have people, whoa, we need more long term studies. Like, well, one of the first studies on it was nineteen eighty one. You know, it's been around for quite a while in terms of being studied and yeah, so Yeah, sales in the literature too. I mean, I think of a dietary supplement, if it doesn't work, if it has no efficacy, sales they peak for a couple of years, maybe two years to the gullible and then they fall off. But something like creatine has had strong sales. It's such a staple kind yeah. of product so it's got real world validation as well as far as sales and that sort of stuff you know yeah. so. and we saw at ISSN you know from the year before about having perhaps pretty profound effect on neurologic diseases and all sorts of other things too so 
Yeah, the neural stuff. It's always refreshing when some of these supplements. I mean, I'm sure this guy doesn't make any comments about how um, the health, you know, the medical profession has actually benefited from what's a quote unquote, you know, muscle magazine supplement. Because you're right now, yeah. creatine is being used for stuff like cognitive disorders, neurodegenerative things, depression, anxiety, uh, beta alanine too. So. Yeah, there's no mention that there's some good to come from all of this, you know. And again, there might be a couple of cover your ass phrases in this article, but I don't think there's equal airtime given to the the fact. I mean, let's face it, our listeners, I think, should be sort of irritated or up in arms about this sort of stuff because almost everybody who's listening probably purposely consumes extra protein, uh, creatine, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know about the L-carnitine. I'm not sure why that's in that same category. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you're all dysmorphic. You know, you question your masculinity. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. You're just trying to be constructive. I mean, you, you know, you can use supplements or even drugs for constructive or destructive reasons. You know, it's, it's a lot like the gun argument. You know, is a gun bad in itself or is it how we use it? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. Well, I just wanted to touch on some of that. Like I said, I think the supplement hysteria yeah. thing is, I guess it'll never go away. It's its almost fun uh, to discuss and debate because some people get so hot about it. It's like the steroid issue. And again, yeah, back to the documentaries and stuff. But um, people have such strong opinions. And when you ask what you, what's your opinion based on, they can't really give you a solid definitive answer. You know, like if you were to ask uh, Dr. Nelson, you know, what's your opinion on protein? Uh, and, and then he'd give you one, and then you'd say, why? He'd be like, well, mm-hmm. early work from Mark Tronopolsky, you know, said this, and then Robert Wolf's lab clearly showed benefits from that. And if you look at the data, there's whole books on the safety. You know, he could point to very solid material that he's basing these opinions on. And I think most people, they have such hot-headed opinions, and you confront them uh, to consider the source, and they can't because it was hearsay, you know, or the media. Anyway. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed too. I published an ebook on metabolic flexibility, and it's had you know, a fair amount of sales now, which has been really good. And I purposely put all the references and everything in there. One, because that's what I do, but two, also for that specific reason, right? So if someone came back and says, hey, I don't necessarily agree with this line, and you could say, well, it's based on these two studies, mm-hmm. at least then you can have an intelligent conversation. You know, oh, maybe there's a new study I didn't see, or you know, maybe they interpreted this data different than that. But you can actually sit down and have an intelligent conversation and you both probably learn something from it. You know, if there's no basis in that, it just ends up in a shouting match of you're right and I'm wrong and not based on anything and no one learns anything then either. Yeah. In a perfect world, that's how it's supposed to be, whether you're in the gym yeah. or at a conference behind a microphone asking a question. It should be, well, that's interesting. That's not what I thought. You know, why do you think what you do? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not how. And so it's mine. Mine. It's all opinion. You know, yeah. my opinion. <laughs> yeah. All right. One last bit here. Um, our books for our summer contest have gone out. I gave uh, our uh, back from the ashes injury, not just survivors, but thriver uh, contestants. They both chose books. I'm encouraged by that because right? they could have taken backpacks and I got a variety of DVDs and, you know, stuff like that. And they went for the books. So good on you. So those were sent. I'm guessing they're in the hands of the people now. So that summer contest is a wrap. Maybe this fall we'll uh, we'll do something else. Congrats, guys. 
All right. Yeah. That's all we've got. Uh, have a good one. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.